0: Thank you. I got it, bud. hopefully you are doing well. We are going to be wrapping up our series, the reasons for the season this morning, and then we're going to be looking at something at Christmas Eve called the not-so-perfect family tree, and we're going to be looking at the family tree of Jesus. Well, I want to start off with an exercise real quick this morning. I want to ask several questions, okay? So the first question is, when you hear the word sinner, sinner, what comes to mind? Is it someone who got something wrong? Is it Uh, Someone who fails to live up to a certain set of standards. Uh, Maybe someone who hurt someone with something they said or did. Maybe it was manipulation or deception or maybe just abuse. How about a moral ethical offender, right? Someone who lying and stealing and cheating and committing acts of violence. Or maybe it's an outlaw or a criminal that's locked up in jail. Maybe we think of sinner. That's what comes to mind. So I want to ask this question. When you hear the word sinner, who comes to mind? Who comes to mind? Is it a family member? Maybe someone you know? Uh, how about an elected official or a public figure? Maybe a historical dictator or an infamous criminal? So now I want us to pivot. When you hear the word self-righteous, what comes to mind? Is it someone who thinks, believes, or acts morally superior than someone else? Maybe when it comes to religious beliefs, that they have a very hard time they have a very hard time agreeing and disagreeing with someone who believes differently than them. Or maybe it's someone who just seems to come across as they've made all the right decisions, right? They've never made a mistake when it came to life-altering decisions, and they're 22, and they kind of have everything together. Or maybe it's the parent who doesn't comes across as they have all the answers, and their baby's only one week old. How about those who have it all together when it comes to health and fitness, and they come across as the way they've done it is the only way to do it? Maybe it's someone who often focuses on their own values and standards to the point of becoming critical of others. They're very rigid. So when you hear the word self-righteous, who comes to mind? Is is a family member, maybe it's the HOA president, church leaders, elected official or public figure, Like who, who comes to mind to you? So here's an honest question I want you to ask, and I want this to be rhetorical. I don't want anyone <laughs> answering this question or putting this on the chat online. Do you see yourself as the sinner or the self-righteous? Do you see yourself as the sinner or the self-righteous? And have you ever asked yourself that question? And, and why is this a question that is easier to put others in those categories than it is ourselves? Why does this question even matter? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. That this question actually does matter. And, and I want us to ask that rhetorical question because it's natural for us to be critical. It's natural for us to be critical on others and ourselves. And we have a tendency to be, to, to be aware but not necessarily self-aware. Do You catch that? Like, we have a tendency to be aware, but not necessarily self-aware. Like, people, like, we we may not see ourselves as sinners or self-righteous because of several things. Like, one thing is because of these defense mechanisms we put in, right? It's a lack of self-reflection, right? All of us have blind spots. And for some of us, we don't have anyone helping us see where we can't see. Others of us, it's denial or rationalization. Like we rationalize, we justify actions that, well, I'm still a good person. Like my my good outweighs my bad. Or maybe it's just a defense of our ego. Like, Like we're willing to confront our own failures? Something like this. Man, I've been married to him for 10 years and he has not shown me enough attention like he has. What happens is, yes, we failed, but we don't see it as failure. How about cognitive dissonance? Like, like we're holding strongly on a certain set of beliefs, but then when, when reality contradicts those beliefs, oh, well, I never believed that. I, I, I never said that. How about when it comes to our culture? Like our culture Listen, can we just be honest? Is not strong when it comes to humility and owning our failure. Our culture is not great at that. Or maybe we find ourselves being constantly reinforced with the people that we're around. Whether social media or whether a group of people, and what happens is we find ourselves in an echo chamber. Well, you're yeah, you yeah, you you're right. He's so wrong. What happens is We're not hearing anything different. We're not being challenged on anything. Or maybe for some of us, it's a lack of awareness or we're very selective what we put our attention to. i found this to be pretty humorous. Look at me, man. (laughs) What about me makes you think that I care about what you think about me? (laughs) You don't understand that my team has it all, man. Coaching, genius. Offense, explosive. Defense, triumph. (laughs) It's the complete package, man Yeah, well, millions of people are watching your games You've obviously turned the program around But it's not perfect I mean, just last night, you lost to Stanford in double overtime Wasn't that crazy? (laughs) Man, we were up 29 nothing at the half So I went home and fell asleep (laughs) I woke up this morning shocked as anyone But come on, man, nobody's perfect Name one team that's undefeated Okay, well, well, there's Georgia Right Michigan Mm Mm-hmm Ohio State. That's another one. Florida State. Forgot about them. Oklahoma. Sure. Penn State. Indeed. Washington. Good team. North Carolina. Tar Heels. Air Force. And see, that's exactly my point. For some of us, we're unable to read a room, or we're unable to to observe people's reactions to them. How about this? We compare ourselves to others to feel better. Well, at least I'm not that person. Well, at least I didn't do what they did, or maybe it's just personal changes. Like like we have we've made changes in our past, and we see ourselves as now being good or good enough or self made by the changes that we've made. Well, I see this with my friends in recovery who, they were going to the recovery group every every time, and then every week and every month and every year they were constantly receiving this accountability, then all of a sudden when they got to a point where they didn't think they needed it anymore, after a while they fell back to to square one. See, as we look at one of the reasons Jesus came to earth, Christmas, and I'm sure you agree with this, is a time where we see the best and the worst in people, right? Those close to us, and maybe even ourselves. Whether invitations to parties or gift giving or making meals, it's a time where we are tempted to be critical of others that connected to others. Have you ever thought about Jesus inviting you and I into a relationship and the cost of that relationship? We're going to learn this morning that Jesus gave one of the reasons why he came. And that reason was to invite sinners to receive spiritual healing. And we're going to be looking at a story. And as we go through this story, We're going to see Jesus was able to see something in Matthew that others did not see. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus' compassion led to Matthew's change. The others' criticism left Matthew unconnected. And so we're going to pick up the story. And it's after Jesus invites the first four disciples to follow him. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, Peter and Andrew lived in Bethsaida, which is about two miles from where the story takes place, in a larger town called Capernaum. So here's a map, and you'll be able to see that it's about two miles east of where Capernaum is. Now, the first four disciples were fishermen. It appears that Peter owned at least the business between him and his brother, Andrew. Owning the business required paying taxes on imported and exported goods like fish. So, most likely, Peter knew of Matthew who collected taxes at Capernaum. And the reason why he collected taxes at Capernaum was not only that it was bigger, but it was a port town. So, while this is all going on, words beginning to spread of several miracles Jesus performed it was the exorcism, healings, including Peter's mother in law. Heals a man from leprosy, forgives, and heals a paralyzed man. And it's very likely that Matthew knew of Jesus. He knew the things that he did because in, in this port town of Capernaum, I mean, it was several hundreds to, to a few thousand people. It's very likely he knew of Jesus. Notice what Mark writes. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, whether Jesus wanted it or not, a large crowd draws attention, wanted and unwanted. And we're going to see who is in this crowd later. So let's get back to Levi, who's the son of Alphaeus. And back then, they didn't have last names. So you were identified as who you were the son or daughter of. And so it was Levi, son of Alphaeus. So it would be like Jeff, the, the son of Jeff. Well, that could get a little complicated. But you, you guys know what I mean. So Levi was the son of Alphaeus. That was Alphaeus's son, Now, Levi and Matthew, the same person. We're going to see later why there's a change. And he went through some really significant social and family challenges because he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were responsible for collecting taxes from their fellow Jews on behalf of the Roman government. Specifically in his area, it would have been for Herod Antipas, the same guy who put John the Baptist to death. This was not a good man. This not a good man. And the Jews knew that. Matthew's profession as a tax collector would have been a source of tension and strained relationship between him and the community and him and his family. The tax collectors were also known to engage in unethical practices such as overcharging or skimming off the top for their own personal gain. And then... Tax collectors were considered sinners. I mean, they were not allowed to be part of religious gatherings and gatherings within the community. And this exclusion would have extended most likely to family gatherings, causing Levi or Matthew to be isolated from his own community, his own synagogue, and his own family. Notice what Jesus tells Matthew. Notice what Jesus tells Matthew. Well, stop collecting taxes. Now, if you have a Bible and you're reading it, you know that's not in there. But doesn't it feel that way? Doesn't it feel that way that we have to sort of change our behavior? We have to modify our behavior in order to be welcomed at a church? Does it feel that way at times? I don't know if for some of us, we came from a place like that. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, follow me. Follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Matthew, who was alienated from his community, alienated from his family, he was a traitor, is receiving an invitation from this so-called rabbi to follow him. And it would have been scandalous for Jesus. It was controversial for him. But the calling came from Jesus' compassion that Matthew would experience spiritual healing. That was, that's what gave Jesus' compassion. That was his calling because he came to save sinners. And Matthew responds to Jesus' invitation and immediately leaves everything to follow him. By leaving everything behind, he burned his bridges. If things did not work out with Jesus, he was not getting his job back. Take a look at this. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew, Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes, follow me. Me, <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen! I said to. D- what are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go Have you lost your mind? You have money Quintus protects you No Jew lives as good as you You're gonna throw it all away You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. I can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Notice what happens next. Well, Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Another way we can say it is Jesus was in a company of complicated companions. It was a private meet and greet that Matthew set up so that his friends, his former associates, could meet the one that changed his life. And Like we said earlier, large crowds could draw unwanted attention. And the critics and the controversy came. You had the Pharisees and the scribes, their assistants. They could not believe what they were seeing. They could not believe what they were hearing. And they needed to say something to Jesus. And so when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, no rabbi does that. You're not allowed to do that. See, the Pharisees were called the separated ones. They saw themselves as righteous and needed to separate from those who they considered sinners. And when Jesus was dining with the sinners, they criticized him for associating with people considered morally impure. They believed that a righteous person like Jesus should not have social or mealtime interactions with such people. But Jesus' actions challenged the religious leaders' authority and self-righteousness. See, by reaching out to someone like Matthew and calling them the repentance, Jesus was acting as a spiritual leader and teacher, effectively bypassing the religious hierarchy, and they were ticked. This undermined their control over matters of faith and morality. Let me ask you something. How do you handle criticism? More specifically, how do you handle criticism from someone who thinks they're better than you? Now, I, wonder, I wonder if John and James were the ones asked. You know, the sons of thunder, the ones with the temper. Because they asked Jesus another time if he could send fire down from heaven and burn up his critics. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick had not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't even give the Sons of Thunder a chance to even respond, right? See, Jesus makes his calling very clear. Jesus responds to criticism by explaining he's come to call sinners to repentance. Jesus challenges these religious leaders to understand the true essence of God's mercy, which highlights everyone's need for spiritual healing. And I don't want you to miss this. Self-righteousness is the thorny crown of pride that blinds us from the grace of humility. Self-righteousness is a harmful and prideful attitude that obstructs our ability to embrace humility. See, the religious leaders are so focused on their moral superiority over Matthew, that it blinded them to see their own failure and their own sins. When we are preoccupied with our own moral superiority, we are blinded to the humility that leads to personal growth, empathy for others, and deeper connections with other people. See, Jesus didn't come for the righteous, which means those who are right with God He came for sinners like Matthew and his former associates. And honestly, he also came for the self-righteous religious leaders. Jesus came for both groups of people in our story. And this is our focus as a church. From the very beginning that we would be a place where you can belong before you believe. Does that get messy? Absolutely. And we understand that it takes time for people to see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. And once that happens, Change begins to take place in someone's mind, in their heart, in their soul. Our focus is to introduce people to Jesus, not to a list of do's and don'ts. Our focus from this story is that Jesus was able to see something in Matthew that others did not see. Jesus' compassion led to Matthew's change. The other's criticism left Matthew unconnected. Guys, it's so much easier for us to be critical than provide compassion. See, one uses our mouth before our eyes and ears, and the other uses our ears and eyes before our mouth. During this Christmas season, I want us to think about the dangers of self-righteousness. Let's be honest for a second. Self-righteousness can lead to social isolation people distance themselves from people who are better than them. When they act, believe, or say things that make it out to be that they're morally superior, people don't want to be around that. Let me ask you something, Matt. Have you ever experienced less and less friends? How about this? Self-righteousness can hamper effective communication. When someone believes they're always right, you can't talk with them. They struggle with engaging in open, productive conversations or negotiations, right? It's making it very difficult to resolve conflict or agree to disagree or reach a mutual understanding. When their way always has to be the only way, it gets difficult. When was the last time someone disagreed with you? How did you respond? Self-righteous people may be resistant to changing. Their beliefs and their opinions, even when presented with evidence to the contrary. Like this hinders personal growth and the ability to receive new information and experiences. Like, what is God leading you to change, but you're resisting? And then self righteousness can lead to hypocrisy, where, where people hold others to a high moral standard, but they are not living it up themselves. When was the last time that you got on to your child or your teenager for something that you do? You haven't changed. See, Jesus came to set us free from two conditions that keep you and I from growing in our faith. Self-righteousness and sin. Think back on your life. How it was changed when you humbly came to Jesus. the first time for salvation and then we continually go to him afterwards turning from our sin. You are where you are today because of his grace, his mercy, and his love for you. Like imagine how our compassion can lead people in a relationship with Jesus, right? He's the one that changes them. He just wants us to get them to the table. Imagine the impact we can have this Christmas as we sit down with our family who are either viewed as self-righteous, or maybe they're the sinner. We are called to be faithful in those opportunities to tell about Jesus and point to Jesus and say, hey, he's changed my life. And he could change yours. So two things to think about. This Christmas, how do you see yourself and how do you see others? Jesus came to provide spiritual healing. How will you show compassion instead of criticism this Christmas? Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for the story where we saw Jesus have compassion and it led to Matthew's change. Help us not to be like the others whose criticism isolated Matthew, isolated others and didn't leave him to be connected. Father, I ask that you would allow us to be faithful in the opportunities you give us to show Jesus to other people, to to invite other people to follow him like we've been following him. When the change that's been happening in our life, help other people to experience that change. Father, if we are self-righteous in any way, one, we would recognize it, and two, we would ask you to forgive us. That we would turn from that type of lifestyle. That's that, that, that type of thinking, that type of behavior. Father, for those of us who are struggling in a sin, I ask that you would, one, help us to recognize it, and two, help us to repent from it, turn from it. Father, I ask that you will help us this Christmas to find ways to connect instead of just being critical. In Jesus' name, amen.